0: Welcome to Real Rap with Reynolds Teacher Talk with your host, C.J. Reynolds.
1: Real quick, before we jump into that, can you give everyone a little bit of an intro as to like who you are, what you teach, where you teach, that kind of thing?
0: Sure. Uh, my name is LaTanya. I teach third grade now. I always want to say fifth grade because I just left fifth grade and taught that for the longest. I teach in Southern California, about an hour outside of LA, and this is my 13th year teaching. And I have a YouTube channel called Smarty Style, so that's what's up with me.
1: That's that's awesome. Uh, biggest challenge between teaching fifth and going into third?
0: Oh my gosh. Uh, just the uh, amount of time it takes them to do just like very simple tasks like what were simple for my fifth graders like the first day of school I said okay guys you're gonna get out your little planners copy your homework down and I promise you within 60 seconds I realized (laughs) okay we need to take it ten steps back like just showing they need more step by directions whereas fifth graders I could just say copy down your homework and your planner and they knew what to do so um, just re like just being more patient, not that I'm impatient, but I'm just not accustomed to having to give such precise direction. They're definitely on the flip side, the positive, they're definitely just really sweet, like really, really sweet. And um, that's for so.
1: Yeah, that's really, that immediately made me think of my son who's going into fourth. And how, you know, get your shoes doesn't mean you're not necessarily going to go get their shoes. It means I'm going to stare at other things for a long time and not do what was asked of you. So, uh, so let's hop into this conversation and I'll, I'll, uh, kind of present it like this, right? So what sort of what, uh, we talked about last night was given the nature of like everything that's been going on over the last, over the weekend, I guess, in Charlottesville, Virginia. And when, folks want to have that conversation with their student. They want to bring up this like this topic or or this news story that's going on. How do they go about doing that? And I, and I think the interesting thing about us talking about this tonight is also that you teach much younger students than I do. Like I have teenage boys and you're teaching smaller children and I'm wondering how how different that will be at all. But so what I'm gonna throw it to you first if if you don't mind, but like how, how do you, if you talk about this, do you talk about this? How do you figure out what you're going to talk about? Like, is there stuff that's like too much for kids or do you think it's all fair game? What are your thoughts on that from the jump?
0: I think with the younger kids, you definitely have to wait for them to come to you. Like I would never walk into a third grade class and just kind of talk about would happen in Charlottesville because people parent their kids in different ways. There's some parents that want their kids to be aware of what's going on in the world and talk to them about it. But I also know that there's some parents that don't want them to be exposed to that. So um, with younger kids, I definitely would wait. And I kind of had to do that, or I had to have those conversations this past year with the election and not to get political about who I voted for, who you should have voted for. But it was very intense in Southern California because we do have a lot of immigrants and we do have a lot of undocumented immigrants and fifth graders were very for the first time they were very invested in this election because there were such strong feelings about some of the topics and so that morning without saying too much i was affected like i went in that morning thinking like okay i need to compose myself and get myself together so that whatever it is i'm feeling is not affecting my interactions with the kids and as soon as i stepped on uh, the playground that morning kids were talking about you know this is what my mom said this is what's going to go on and i knew i had to say something because i walked in the class and kids are saying this and saying that and i knew i had kids whose parents uh voted for hillary and i knew i had kids whose parents voted for trump and what was nice is that regardless of who their parents voted for i knew their parents and i knew their parents heart and i knew that their entitled to whoever they wanna vote for. So all I said, and I got to really choose those words so wisely is I said, what guys, first and foremost, who you vote for is a very personal choice, which is why you go to the polling place, you're in a private area. And I said, whether your person won or didn't, you don't wanna come to school celebrating, yes, the person I voted for won, because you don't know how other people are feeling. You can be happy and have pride in that. And if your person lost, you don't wanna come and then downplay, you know, well, that person shouldn't have won and this this, and that. And the fifth graders are very responsive about it. So I think with younger kids, you if they bring it to you, definitely respond to it. You don't wanna brush them off because sometimes little kids are yeah. smarter than you think, but you don't wanna go so deep into it um, where they can misinterpret what you're saying and then misconstrue it with their parents. And I think the last thing I said on that conversation was, I, I know you guys have some very deep feelings about it, but those are conversations at this age that you really need to have with your parents at the dinner table. You know, you don't wanna get too far in it, but at the very end of the day, you gotta respect everybody's decision. And it went over really well. Like I left the conversation feeling comfortable that no child would feel like I was saying who they wanted to win was wrong or how their parents voted was wrong and just kind of taught them bigger picture. Like we got to respect each other's differences and I kind of left it at that. But I can't imagine teaching high school. It's totally different.
1: <laughs> it's, it's all out there. It's just like, it's totally yo Reynolds, can you believe this? This is what I get. Like people come into the classroom, Reynolds, yo, what are you guys doing in Virginia? This is the, this is the wording that I get. And I'm like, can we, I, sometimes it's real funny being like, I'm the I'm the oldest teacher at my school, so I think that is kind of like uh, is in my favor sometimes. With that, yeah. sort of goes some kind of respect element. And so, when kids come in, they'll either they decide who who's what side I'm on immediately. They uh, they like decide for me. Like, like yeah,
0: you know,
1: I'll bet like when the election came, like oh I'll bet you voted like this because you said this mm-hmm. before. I'll th- I think you voted like this, or they will. So it's, it's already kind of decided and that's, I kind of like that because it lets me, it lets me shake it up a little bit. It shows the kids that they don't know who I am. Like you can look at me and you can think you know who I am or what I feel about something, but you don't always. And I love, love, love ninth grade because I feel so much like high school students, especially boys aren't used to giving their opinions about things. Like they don't talk about their feelings or how they feel about something in particular so much, unless they're angry. Like that's an acceptable emotion to feel and that one's all right. But like, I'm not gonna say that I was hurt by something or that something made me sad. That I have to kind of pull out of students. Yeah. So for something like this, like I wouldn't shy away from this for five seconds in my particular school to talk about this because I know my students are thinking about it. And if I know, or if I hear kids talking about it, what I want to do is create a safe place for a really healthy conversation where we're going to listen to everyone. Because although I teach, I mean, I'd say, most of my students are African-American. We, I have, there's always like, there's like one Pakistani kid, one Asian kid, and one white kid that we pull in for all the brochures, makes us look a yeah. little diverse, but like the majority of the students are African-American. Yeah. Um, But they, my kids fall on both sides of arguments sometimes where like last year, you and I talked about this a little bit yesterday, where when a lot of like the police brutality issues kept coming up and it was like, uh, and folks kept dying, the kids were coming in and, and it was really interesting where like someone might, I wouldn't say they sided with the police, but they would say, well, I can understand this. And that would just totally piss somebody else off. And it was like, Learning how to have conversations where we're stopping, we're listening completely. And the way I'm going to check for that is I'm going to ask you, before you refute what someone said, you have to repeat what they said first. Yeah. So that I know that you heard what they said. And that that gets us somewhere. Uh, yeah. How do you, like, is there so can i ask i don't know what the makeup of your school is and does that affect what you talk about or how you talk about things in terms of like and religion and stuff like that
0: my the area i live in is i mean it's pretty diverse it's pretty middle class um and the school i just came from had the highest population of black students and um It does affect who I am as a teacher, because I feel like I'm on kind of the flip side of you. Like my district, it's middle-class, very high functioning. um, And the demographics of the teachers are, it's very, very uh, narrow. So because of that, I think it really does affect how I know because for some kids, I may be the only or the first black teacher they've had. And I don't wanna just focus on being black, but that's who I am. So that's always the mind frame I'm in. Um, But I really feel like I went into this and I'm there as a representative of minority groups, just to show a different voice, a different approach, that you know, I look like you, I've had some experiences like you, um, but I don't think we go into as deep of conversations as you might, where you are, because the district that I'm in is is pretty conservative. I think we're kind of, getting to the point where we realize, okay, we're doing really well as a district, but we still have some major achievement gaps in multiple um, subgroups. And now what do we do? It's not enough just to be this high functioning district where overall our scores are great. Now we have to look at, in spite of our scores being great, what's happening with our foster kids? What's happening with our free and reduced lunch kids? What's happening with our Hispanic and ELL kids? And I think, being in this kind of district makes me more passionate to kind of look at those things because i think you can become very complacent in a district that just does well like we exist and for the most part we do well like we do well enough that the name of this district sells houses in this area so people are coming here because they're like oh i want my kids there and i'm here to say we can't just be blinded by that because we have kids that are falling through the cracks because we're sitting on this cloud of, wow, we do really well. Um, but I, I I am a little bit more censored because I know that the district's conservative, but not so censored that people don't know, you know, what I stand for and what I believe in, both colleagues and I think parents that I work with. Um, yeah. So, it I mean, it's interesting. It's very interesting to be in in this kind of environment where you kind of wanna make sure people are aware of things, but you also don't wanna be so aggressive that you're offensive to people, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think there is a very fine line, especially I would like urge new teachers to kind of like take it slow. If they want to have conversations in their class that are, that are about a heavy topic, because one, you don't know, kids don't go home and report exactly what you said. They report their version of what you said or what they heard. And I've never gotten a phone call back from a parent ever. But I think that's because I try and largely leave my opinion out of it as much as I can, right? I get it. Like, I know that I can't do that completely. Like the way I'm maybe going to phrase something, maybe the types of questions that I'm asking say something about how I feel. But what I try and do is like have the students have that conversation. And I am like, uh, uh, I'm just facilitating it. And I'm... make us go a little bit deeper and not just stay on the surface with stuff. Because one of the things I argue about with my guys all the time is they just, they'll make these claims, but they don't have any evidence for that or they don't support it with anything. And I'm down with whatever you want to say, but like, let's have that conversation. And I think for me, those conversations are, you know, one of the things we talked about yesterday that I think, and I'd love to know, I'd love to actually have some more dialogue about this, but my, my take is when there are black male educators in my school, the boys sort of gravitate towards those men because of whatever, like I have some ideas, like I think they like seeing folks that look like them being successful or being respected, right? So if there's an issue that comes up in the news, those are Those are the teachers that the boys typically like are magnetized towards. So I like doing things like sitting in the back of their class and inserting myself into those conversations because I want to have that conversation, but I also want to understand my students as much as I possibly can. And after years of doing that, I think it's afforded me the ability to like talk about things with my students that I wouldn't have felt was my place before because now I just feel like... That older guy, that like I care about you, like, and and I'm often the they in those conversations where the boys like put these blanket statements out there, like you know white people do this or they don't like us or they treat us this way, and I'm like, "Ah, let's hold on a second because because really Charlottesville, I think if half of those dudes had a black friend, things would be a little bit different. Like they wouldn't, everyone wouldn't be so mad that we wouldn't be. Throwing the baby out with the bathwater, as
0: which is a really that's a really dark. I, I mean, I think what you said is like key. If I I think as a new teacher, regardless if you're a they or a minority group, I I know for a fact that when I talk about stuff like this, it's subversive in the sense that it's always framed around education. So same thing, the kids never knew my political beliefs, and I told them you will I will never tell you what I believe, but you you'd be surprised how much you could frame around education the power of education and equality in that way and i think if you're a new teacher going out there and you know in your heart you want to reach all students you want to connect with all students and for your students to know that you do have to kind of just ease your way in there and that conversation being wrapped around education and how it's valuable to them is an easy way to do it i always tell my kids education is the greatest equalizing force. And I just kind of say, you never, you never let anybody tell you what you can do, how you can do it, your destiny. like you are in charge of that. And there are kids out there that are members of minority groups who hear that and they know what I'm saying. And I know that they know what I'm saying. And that's enough for me. And I think if you're someone who's like, well, I, I know that some of my students are looking at me as a they, I think that approach is huge because when they start to feel like, okay, Mr. Reynolds, okay, here's this white guy, but he's listening and he knows and he, maybe he's not, maybe I don't have him figured out the way that I thought I did. Now you become that comfort because my instinct is to think your uh, black students are gonna gravitate to that black man just because there's comfort in being like, you look like me. And so maybe you understand or I don't have to explain because I know I do that sometimes. Like I know I'll be like, oh, okay, there's someone that looks like me and that's all i know i don't know anything about them i just know you know that they look like me but i think once parents and kids realize through your conversations that you are just coming from a place where you genuinely genuinely care then you can have those conversations and not maybe feel as uneasy about it um i will say there have been a couple of i would say three times where i was way more explicit and direct about what I was saying in terms of race and education, but by that point, I knew I had that relationship with those parents yeah. to say, "Look, like here, let me really lay out why I'm teaching, and you just have to be careful with that. Like you have to know that you're at that place with that parent, and um, not kind of overstep your boundaries too early." So, I think you just—I'm sorry. I'm Go sorry. Ahead. And I just
1: want to make sure that I'm clear on this. And. Overstep your boundaries in terms of, like, why they know that you're teaching or, like, kind of what your motives are yeah, there? Or what?
0: what I've said to parents, like, I don't say, like, I, I had a parent once say to me, uh, because her son had this reputation, like, and I knew her son. By the time he got to fifth grade, I knew exactly who he was because he had a reputation. Yeah. And my approach is always, okay, I know your reputation, but let's just see what happens when you get in my class. Maybe you and I can get along. And so he, he did some things throughout the year, but he would, he did a lot of things, but every day was a new day for him and I. And he knew that he knew that I wouldn't come to school the next day and be like, yesterday you did this and this. And so I had a conversation with her one morning where we were you know, talking to him about how he needs to be better. And I said to her, and I said to him, I am teaching for kids like you. And so I directly said to him, I said, I know that you know that there are gonna be places that you go and people are gonna see you and they are gonna have a list of assumptions about who you are, what you're gonna do, what you can't do. And I said, and I'm here for kids like you. I said, now it's your job to show them how wrong that they are, but I want you to know that I'm aware of that and I'm here to try and help you. Now, I would not have said that, that directly to them on the first day of school. This was after I knew I had their trust, their child knew that I was there for them but I just wanted them to know, and I wanted him to know, anytime I'm in your face, it's because I'm really invested in what's gonna happen to you. And I said, I knew you before I met you, and I knew you for all the wrong reasons. And I said, and I'm glad I have you in my class now, because now I know who you really are, but you have to show people that because people think they already know you. Um, So that's what I mean by overset my bounds. Like, I don't, I mean, not kind of put all my cards on the table like that with everybody, but when I feel like a student is receptive to me saying that and their parents are receptive to me saying that, then I will say it.
1: That's a really interesting conversation with parents. I think also because uh, I'm trying to think of how, like there's a lot of different ways. Like I sort of approach that sort of conversation because I want parents to know like on back to school night, back to school nights, like one of my favorite nights of the year. I love when parents come in and I love meeting. I cause, cause I love seeing where kids come from, right? Like, yes. so some kids are like, Oh yeah, of course that's your mom. Like you're just like, you're just like, her. Uh or when I meet someone's dad, like I, I just, I love that, that connection, but telling folks why I teach, I, I, in the beginning stick with look, I love teaching. Like I want to do this job. I love that I'm here. I hope we have the greatest year ever. I want your kids in ten years to remember Mr. Reynolds, their ninth grade English teacher, and that you know they at least enjoyed the class and got something out of it. Like that's yeah. I'm going. I'm going for that. But you know I think it's there's this thing, and I I feel it. So I'm trying to th- I'm trying to word this carefully because I feel this tension when. I get a lot of teachers that come into my school that are like, you know, young, not always white, but like well off kids that are like, want to like teach, they want to teach in the hood for a year, you know, yeah. or like two, and then they can put it on their resume and it looks cool. And it's like, yeah, I teach in West Philly. Yeah. But I just, that it makes me anxious every year that I see someone come in that kind of fits a certain mold because I think, are you going to stay? because for the kids, they need you to stay. Because in the neighborhood, and with a lot of the students that we're dealing with, there's not a whole lot of consistency. Like, dad's in and out of the picture. Mom is working two jobs. Grandmom's living with you. You know, there's a lot of uncertainty in your life. There's foster parents. There's like, there's all kinds of madness going on. So for you to just, and not even be anything special, for you to be in the same doorway every morning for the next four years, Is going to make a huge difference to students and you know so I I, usually the way that I kind of frame that is like I let parents know that I wanted to be a teacher somewhere that I felt like needed good teachers in the long term right so like I'm not going anywhere I want 20 years for kids and this has happened and I'm 12 years in but like I love when old students come back and they're like Reynolds you're still in the same place I'm like I hope I'm here when your kids are going to this school because that's the kind of like legacy that I want to have because I think it's so, so important to the students. And There's
0: one, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go for it. There is, I'm just looking at the comments and I just want to touch on this really briefly. Um, I think the person's name is Red T and um, he or she, because I don't know if it's male or female, okay. is saying that we're only dealing with um, racial issues and not really talking about kids with disabilities. Oh. And I know it's a separate topic, but I do want to say that I think I am more, um, cause that is another group that you need to teach kids about and, and learn how to interact with as a teacher, whether you're gen ed or special ed. And I do wanna say with those conversations, I am more proactive and direct with kids because they are going to school. I know at my school, we do have um, a moderate to severe class. And um, I do very directly tell them You know you need to really think about how you interact and just because i think that's more of a teaching that's a more of a teaching situation where you can be very clear and direct with kids about what they should be thinking about and how they should interact so i just didn't want that person to think that we were not looking at that group of kids as someone to be concerned about but just to kind of touch on that that i do talk with my kids about that also and that is more direct and i think you are less likely to offend parents if they know, okay, now you're trying to educate my child on how to deal with kids with disabilities and things like that. So I'm sorry, I just saw it and I didn't want them to feel. um,
1: No, that's really important. And for, for, I'm not sure if it's a man or woman, but Red, I would just say that the sort of like the jumping off point for this conversation was like, kind of what was happening um, in Virginia over the weekend. And so that's why, that's how it went down that avenue, not to like, you know, discount anyone else because that students with disabilities is something that's very, very dear to my heart, um, for a lot of different reasons. But, uh, I, I just in a school where our school is a college prep school. So the, the, the charter, it's a charter school. The the idea is that like, you come to our school, you go to college and there are there are a lot, you know, more than I'd like to admit, probably students that like, aren't, when they come in ninth grade, they're not on that track for college. They're not yeah. even thinking about it, that like no one's ever graduated from their house. They're going to our school because it's safe. Um, we have very, very few fights because of the way that our school is run and it's a very safe place overall to go to school. But, yeah, you know, the, so we, one of the things we struggle with as a staff is like helping kids that have special needs. It's It's a, it's a lack that we have which is why this year we my co-teacher and I have started a class where we're going to be having a class where we're we're dealing with trying really trying to deal with a population that is like often overlooked or mm-hmm. aren't or we can't provide those services for them that they need so we're going to do the best to like fill those gaps and to and to bridge some of those things that students wouldn't otherwise have dealt yeah. with Um, And I'm really looking forward to that as well. Uh, We have a question here from Senior S is asking, what would be your advice for teachers that are teaching at a school with a majority population of students, a different race or background other than themselves? So I guess like if you are, so like everyone, oh, and then he said, I hope this makes sense. Like Reynolds being a white teacher in a majority of African-American school. Uh, I don't know. What would you say to to like a new
0: teacher oh, in that for situation i don't know i know you now but i don't i've not been in your physical presence but i think just be yourself like if you have some strong reasons that took you to that school and that kind of environment and that scenario just be true to that don't go in there with this image of what you should look like what you should sound like what you should say how you should say it because that can come across as disingenuous and then you're not gonna accomplish what you were really meaning to accomplish. The impression that I have of you, which I think is is successful, is that you really just want what's best for the kids. Mm -hmm. And I think when you're true to that, kids feel that, adults feel that. They may not feel that on the first day of school because they're gonna say, well, what is this guy doing here? But it's gonna come across eventually. So I think if you just really take time before you start, and think about, okay, what what are the reasons that I'm going there, knowing that you're not going to go in there and revolutionize that whole school within one school year, but just knowing that maybe you'll only make a difference to one student, and then maybe, you know, that's going to have to be enough. I think that's your biggest, um, that will be the way that you'll be most successful, is just being true to yourself and knowing what you're doing, why you're doing it, and just sticking to that and just letting the rest kind of fall into place from there.
1: Yeah, I think, authenticity is everything my guys smell uh, a fake i feel like in the first day of school they're like this guy's not real or he's not going to stick around and it's a a lot of times it's folks that come in that are young because my whole staff is young at my school and they try to like act cool they don't they don't they forget That as soon as you graduated from college, you're no longer cool. Like kids don't think that you're cool. I don't care if you wear similar clothes or if you like the same music or TV shows. And that's, that's a tough place to connect with kids anyway. I mean, I do connect in in a lot of those places, but it's very, very intentional. Like if everyone's watching this TV show, I'm going to watch that TV show. I watched Flash last year. I hated it, but I watched it because my boys watched it and I wanted them to like what they liked. But like... Uh, I'll watch certain movies, but they know that it's very deliberate, so that I can talk to them about it. That, but if you try and go in and be like whoever you're teaching, or act like you know what that what your world is like, like, hey, everyone, I get it. Like, I know what your world is like. I watch The Wire. Like, come on, man. Like, you know, you're just you're not gonna win that way. And I, you know, after a certain amount of time. I do use slang in class just because I think it's funny, and I use it like very. I say it in such a way that is like ridiculous. Or <laughs> we talk about slang a lot because we, especially when we read Shakespeare, and yeah. uh, we have this really great lesson where we compare like a Snoop song to Shakespeare. And I'm like, if you think in 500 years anyone's gonna know what Snoop was talking about, you're you're kidding yourself. They're gonna be like, why did he talk like this? It's ridiculous. The same thing they do about Shakespeare. And so I have a notebook of like uh, slang terms that I write down and, and it's, we do this whole lesson on, it. it's really, it's really fun, but I think it's kind, sometimes it's, it's definitely being yourself and sometimes just calling out those differences and saying, I have no idea what you're talking about. Or like, um, you know, I think calling out the elephant in the room can help with a lot of things as well. Uh, but never also, trying to be, I've never seen that, being true work. Good.
0: i Not being, um, not condescending, but just having high expectations. Like I think kids, when they realize, oh, just they don't care who I am, their expectations are here and they want to kind of get to that place. I think when kids feel like you've gotten to the point where you don't think they can do something, then they're like, well, you don't think I can do it, so what's the point of me even trying? So just maintaining high expectations for each student, like what's high for one student may not be high for another, but never, getting to the place where it's apparent that you don't really believe that they are capable of doing something. I know I told a colleague once, like even if I have a kid where I've given them something and I've gotten to a place where I think, you know what, I don't really think they can do it. They'll never know that I think that because I'll just keep saying you can do it and then we'll see what happens. And I think just them knowing that you believe that they can do it and you expect them to do it kind of pushes them there and it kind of forms that relationship because then they feel like you see them in a way that maybe they've not been seen before. You're not making assumptions that they're, you know, accustomed to. Yeah,
1: I think that's huge. And I really like that you said that those, uh, your expectations are gonna be different for each kid. Like not everyone is, and I remember, I remember my parents saying this to me when I was younger, I just thought it was ridiculous when I was a kid. Like, you know, if you're not an A student, that's fine. But like, if a C plus is the best that you can get, and I used to think, well really, It just gave me a lot of room to slack off because now I don't like I get a C plus and just play the card of like, oh, that's the best I can have. Or when kids will compare themselves to others and say like, well, how come he's allowed to do that? And so even behavior wise, like I have different expectations for different students. I tell kids I'm a charm. I can do whatever I want. Like if I decide that kid can walk around sometimes or. I need you to sit with your legs directly in front of your desk. Cause I know if you sit sideways, it becomes a full on conversation with everyone else. Yeah. Like those kind of things can be different for each kid. The way that I handle that. And I find that works the best is if someone has an issue with it, I have a one-on-one conversation with them and say, your success is more important to me than anything than me mm-hmm. being cool than me being right than this looking fair I, I can tell from where I'm sitting that this is going to serve you best. And that's all that I want. That's all I care about. And really instilling in kids that belief that, yeah, I really think you can do this. I think uh-huh. you might have to work 100 times or 10 times harder than someone else. But I really, really think you can do it. But you have to put in the work. Like, I'm here yeah. to help if you need me. But, you know, that's uh, – that's a really hard conversation sometimes because kids aren't used to hear. If you're not used to hearing it, then it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Um, and it's like training kids to let that kind of stuff in really, really helps. Um, what, so how, let me see what I want to there. There was a, something on here that made me think of a question I want to ask you. Uh, was this it? Oh, so let me put this out there. My wife put this next to me. I'm not sure what this is going to say. Uh, Mountain Gal (laughs) Homemaker said, oh, Miss Robinson fell off of her chair. (laughs)
0: I'm fine. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Mountain Gal Homemaker said, well, today me and my girls discussed who exactly Robert E. Lee was, because especially my oldest, and they wanted to know what the big deal was over the statue. You know, I... I'm going to, I'm going to head that off first. I I think all of that conversation is so important because most things could be handled over a conversation. Like I would, I would, I was telling my wife this tonight and this sounds, I'm not sure who's watching this or how ridiculous people are going to think this is, but I would love part of me wanted to go to Virginia. One, it's not that far from me. And two, uh, over the weekend, I'm just so interested sometimes when people have these beliefs that are so far one way or the other to see kind of where that came from. Like where, is that something you grew up with? Why did you decide that? How is your, how are your your views so far and so firm in that way? I just am extremely interested in that idea. And so I love that idea that she's saying that they had a conversation about this because you know, it's, it's just kind of mind boggling in those things um you know
0: thing is i uh fifth grade it was revolutionary war and there was a part of the curriculum where it kind of shows you where slavery came from like what was the um what was the motivation to even bring slaves over talking about the tobacco fields and things like that and this is one of those times right you feel like even some of my black students were like what what is she saying right now yeah and so I just kind of framed it like okay we know that slavery is wrong but let's talk about how it even got to that point i said people are a lot of times motivated by money and power and the more money you start to make and the more power you get things that you once thought were wrong slowly seem to become like okay like they don't seem that bad and it was just me trying to teach them like okay let's talk people that had slaves they weren't just inherently bad they, there was a progression of things that happened that led them to think like, okay, okay, well maybe I'll just do this and then that's fine. And then they make a little bit more, okay, maybe I'll do this and that's fine. And before you know it, we've gotten to the place where you know you have slavery. So I know with younger kids, um, cause even when you would talk about things like segregation or Martin Luther King day, I would always try and explain to them, you know, people are not inherently wrong, but this is how they, this is what they learn. This is all that they know And they are convinced that this is the way that it is. So you have to accept that, just as convinced that you are that it's wrong, they are that convinced that it's right. And, you know, we got to try and teach them why we think that they're wrong, but you don't want to just put people in, you know, a box and say they're evil and that's just how they are because that was how they were taught or they had experiences that somehow got them to that point. And I just remember some of my uh, students that were Black looking at me like, so are you saying slavery's right? And I'm like, I'm not saying that it's right, but just psychologically think about, okay, we've made a little bit more money and it just becomes easier to kind of justify it, you know? So that, I mean, the whole conversation with the Confederate flag and all that, there's so many backstories that you'd have to have with your class and the whole conversation of like, you know, this is the way people were brought up and, you know, just trying to teach people to, in spite of your disagreements, to be tolerant, to understand where did that come from? Like, you know, where did that belief system come from and how did it get so solidified? And acknowledging that maybe it's because they've not had a chance to experience other groups, other people. I know for a fact I grew when I went away to college and had to meet different kinds of people and live in a different state, you know, because up until that point, I grew up with my parents and my parents were very conservative, both um, based on religion and based on uh, politics. And so my beliefs were their beliefs. And then I went to college and and to a liberal arts school and just met different people. And that's when I started to realize, okay, like, let me look at this a different way. So some of those people just have not had that chance to meet someone to show them, okay, maybe you want to reevaluate some of your belief system and, you know, go from there. So I think teaching kids that aspect of it all is also important.
1: Yeah. I I think whenever you can have someone see something in themselves, that's, you know, in someone else, like, so, uh, even if I think about students with disabilities, right. So to, to go back to that topic, uh, one of the things I'm trying to, you know, I, there are a couple of terms that get thrown around in school very, very often. And that is either you're retarded or this is gay or everything. Everything is gay and everything's retarded all the time. And so I, we stop conversations like we'll be in mid flow and something's going great. And it's like, meh, call, like, let's let's examine that and why that's an issue to me. Yeah. But one of the things we're trying to do even this year is. Uh, see about getting our students in there's like a group home in our in our neighborhood where adults with like severe disabilities like all live together they're taken care of by caretakers and seeing if we can volunteer there for the day to kind Mm -hmm. of like bridge that gap like so when you say that's retarded to put you in front of someone that does deal with mental retardation like is that going to change you now or if everything is Gay, like knowing that, like, if you knew someone that was in that situation or or like, I don't want to say in that situation, but like someone that uh, that was their life, would you still say things the same way? Because I I really to go back to this idea that like if we really knew who each other were and how much we really, really had in common that at the end of the day, it was more about your family and like, you love your kids. Also, you, yeah. you get nervous about, you know, Christmas time, maybe at your house also. And, and whether you're going to be able to have enough gifts to your kids or putting food on the table, like that's really kind of what it comes down to. Yeah. And, but we don't, we, we become so dualistic and it's like, Nope, it's this way or this way. And we, refuse to see like where we are very similar in the middle. And I love having those conversations with students and putting them in front of all different types of people. Yeah. Uh, I just want to say Wife Swap, I feel
0: like is one of those terrible shows. But look at what that does. That's a really good point. It's a good analogy. My
1: not-so-secret wife is saying, (laughs) that's one of the things she likes about the idea anyway of the show Wife Swap, right? Where like you take like (laughs) these people from totally different, you know, lives and then and switch them um
0: <laughs> I, uh, there's be, a book like, at the end seeing like yeah. there's some sort of level of compassion or love you don't have to agree but person. you can
1: still like have a little bit of grace like, for someone else
0: yeah, yeah
1: i love my wife <laughs> uh, doesn't use anything so um
0: my fifth graders if you're if you don't get to have that experience but i've read this book and every year like it it does what I needed to do as far as kids with disabilities or putting yourself in someone else's shoes and I think I mentioned it in one of my blogs before but it's called out of my mind and the girl in the book she's not um, she has cerebral palsy and so she's confined to a wheelchair I think she only has movement of like a couple of fingers but she can't speak has no movement and so every year um, and the book is told from her perspective and the kids soon find out that she's like brilliant, like extremely intelligent, like the smartest person, um, but she can't express it. And so I just had, and with third graders, I just had this conversation because we have the Mod severe cluster at our school and you know, we have kids walking around with different disabilities and making sounds and doing this and doing that. And so I wanted to teach them, okay, you don't, when you see someone like that, you don't want to, make assumptions because you never know. So I tell him about this story and I said, this girl was brilliant, but she could not express it only because she couldn't speak, she couldn't move. And if you saw her, you would just assume, oh, well, she must be retarded or she's not smart. And so I said, but she wasn't. And I said, and the other thing, there's a part in the book where Um, She's talking about how she really wants to speak and how she's never been able to say I love you to her mom. And so I always tell kids, I said, imagine that you have all these intelligent thoughts and all these emotions trapped inside of you and you can never, no matter what you do, let them out. And I said, just imagine, just let's talk about you loving your parents. Imagine having so much love for someone and you can never, ever, ever say it or being so, so smart and you can't ever show people that you do it. And so my third graders were really good about it. And one kid said, "Um, yeah, there's this really famous guy. He's in a wheelchair, but he's like brilliant. And he's like, <laughs> I can't think of his name, but he's like famous. And I said, yeah. are you talking about like Stephen Hawking? He's like, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. And so
0: in that moment, like even giving kids books and just really focusing on, just put yourself in that situation. Imagine yeah. never, able to say i love you to your parents and what that would feel like i think is is a great way to just make people more tolerant whether you're dealing with kids with disability or whether you're dealing with racial issues or political issues that are going out there just always having the ability to say okay this is how i feel but let me let me give the other side the benefit of the doubt let me try and see where they're coming from
1: yeah it's that's it's everything i think it's everything my, my dog is going every week. My dog is so calm. And then as soon as we go live, he just like decides he's gonna be a nut. Um, on- naturally, Niani is asking, she said, how do you both find time to balance your workload with YouTube, Instagram, et cetera? I struggle to make videos to share. That's a really good question uh, on, on a different topic, but how do you find time for all of this stuff?
0: well first I want to say hi to naturally Niani because she's been such a great subscriber to me um I mean if you saw my vlogs I don't really know that I was balancing it very well last year like last year I just was watching your video with Miss May and you were both talking about how YouTube and Instagram and all that is a job and it really was tough last year because I vlog every single day of the school year loaded every Sunday and there were days where I just was in my office Questioning my sanity, like who does this? Like, you know what? I'm teaching. That's already a job, never ends, and let me add this extra element to it. But I think one that I did last year is there are certain things that is not negotiable. Like, I will go to the gym and exercise or work, so that I'm physically taking care of my, myself. I will make a meal so that I'm not having a bullet drill for dinner and just, just train myself. Well. Um, and when I was going to I went on vacations. So I know when I went on winter break, I did no schoolwork. I did no vlogging or anything. Um, and as far as this year, I don't really know what that's going to look like. Cause I am going back to school, but I have already told the people on my channel that I know I won't upload every Sunday. And that's my way of trying to keep that balance. Um, yeah. and there's just weeks where I'm better at it. And then there's weeks where I'm not great at it. And there's times of the school year where I know, there is not gonna be any balance. So, I don't know that I do a good job balancing, but I try and do a good job of putting certain aspects of my life as a priority, like exercising, um, eating well, um, buying myself something, sitting on the couch every now and then and not doing anything. So, I, I don't even have any kids or a husband, so I don't know, how do you do it?
1: Um, so, it is, it's a lot. and so, But I think yeah. the way that it started was because of my son, because he wanted to do it. And so that was something that we did together. And now it's moved into something that's more about school and teaching and education and those sorts of things. I, one huge thing I got rid of was I just don't, I don't watch television anymore. I watch, I watch YouTube and that's a lot easier because there are 10 minute increments most of the time. Uh, and so I'll do that until late at night, but I have really become So interested in it because the more stuff I put out, the more feedback I get. So last week I put out a video last week about uh, bullying and like kind of like my experience with bullying growing up and how I handle bullies and students that are bullied in school. I got so many emails from that from people that were like, I'm so glad you talked about this. I'm getting bullied now. I'm a student in school. I got bullied my whole life and this is the effect that it had on me. And that to me is, it's almost, I don't want to say addicting, but there's such a draw to it to know that like, I'm going to put out a piece of content and people are going to react to it in such a way that's like a really meaningful way. And I don't know that I always see that on other types of YouTube videos, right? It's only ever for me anyway, I don't watch all kinds of stuff, but like in the education community, this like small teacher community on YouTube that's the kind of conversations that I see happening. And I just think they're so valuable. So that is really my draw to do it even more because it's just like with my students. Like I put a lot into those conversations or a lot into those relationships because I think it's worth something. Yeah. And especially folks that like I've gotten to know and we keep those conversations going. Yeah. And it's, it's really, it's, I don't know. It's, it's and hard. It's to balance it.
0: true. Like I kept it up last year because like you, I just, i was just kind of amazed at like the positive response of it all so as hard as it was to kind of keep uploading and kind of losing some of my free time um it it, i mean it's just i feel like i've made five thousand friends in the last year and there are some that i really feel like i know them and you know i keep i want to keep going because i don't want to let them down and there is so much that you can we can learn from each other so i watch other teachers on youtube to just Randomly pick up different things, whether it's lessons or approaches or thoughts, Um, and it and it is fun. Like I mean, I think you once you get into it, you get really particular about editing, and you get (laughs) lost
1: in editing.
0: And I need to like, and then you want to make it better, so that part gets overwhelming. But I think um, even though it it takes away some of that balance, it is very rewarding in in a lot of different ways, and um, it's been such a great experience. So. I'm going to work on being balanced this year i definitely will keep doing it i just don't know if i'll be able to do it as frequently as i did it last year in terms of uploading but yeah
1: it's a lot of fun i'll 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 say this too because i love that that word balance uh, and new teachers always ask me that kind of question and it also puts this image in my head we're like if you're trying to balance on a balance beam you have to constantly change balance isn't a perfectly even thing that you get right and then once you get it right you you know all right i have my system locked down because something's gonna like it's just like even a good lesson in school right you might have the best lesson you planned all weekend you're so pumped about it and then there's a fire drill or someone throws up or the kids aren't feeling it that day and it messes everything up so balance is always about little movements back and forth so Sometimes it's more time with my kids. Sometimes I can put more time into YouTube. Sometimes magically at once a quarter, my student, my kids, my own children are like stay at someone else's house for the night. And I'm like, Oh man, this is like the most magical thing ever. I can just do whatever I want all night. And these days that's YouTube stuff all night. Cause I could literally stay up till easily 12 o'clock, one o'clock in the morning answering comments because I just find it really fulfilling. So yeah, I think that's, it's always that back and forth, always yeah, for big, for sure. which point the spin. Casey S said, I have an interview next week, middle school ELA, a few general tips. Uh, I love this question because it is the season. Um, was there anything that you learned from your interview process that, or was anything you wish you knew going into your interview process?
0: I know at least where I'm at. When I was um, debating back and forth last year about, do I wanna go to this new school and stay in elementary or go to middle school, that when I went on my middle school interview, um, there are quite a few middle school teachers that were actively recruiting elementary teachers because they wanted middle school teachers to start using some of the strategies that elementary school teachers. So if I were in an interview, I would start talking about how you would incorporate small groups in your instruction at the middle school level um what does that look like how would you differentiate instruction because at least when i went on the interviews i think they felt like the middle school teachers were just teaching whole group but maybe not spending a lot of time pulling groups of kids back and making sure you're reaching them on on that level so maybe spend some time thinking about how would you incorporate um pulling kids in small group settings and teaching them at their level. I would also talk about management because I know that was a huge question that they were asking me a lot. How would you, because I think some, at least out here, classroom management is usually seen as the very primary thing. Like how do you want the kids to enter and exit the classroom? What do you want them to do here? But that was a huge reason why this one principal that I was talking with was interested in me coming over because she knew that that's probably one of my stronger things. So classroom management and student engagement. Like, how are you gonna keep them engaged? So I know our district is very heavy heavy on what's called Kagan structures, which is from someone named Spencer Kagan, and just um, allowing kids time to talk. Do they have time to get up and interact? Instead of raising their hand and just answering questions, maybe they're mixing in different teams. Just those are the kinds of things that were big topics and big questions when I went on interviews and I was interviewing with middle school uh, principals. So I would definitely think about focusing on those types of responses.
1: Yeah, that's, those are really good. I, I think, to, I think I would think in terms of what, remember that you are interviewing the school also, right? You're not just being interviewed. So figuring out if that's the kind, the kind of school you want to be at and a way you can really quickly kind of figure some of those things out is like, go onto their website, read their mission statement, have a sense of like where you're headed so that you can ask them questions. And that's gonna that's gonna show that you did your homework also and go into the interview and start asking them questions. And I had an interview with a, with a guy last week, I was, the English department was asked to, or always has to participate in interviews that have to do with the English department. And I love going into interviews. And I always ask folks, do you have questions for us? Like, what are you wondering about us? And the guy last week who ended up getting the job said he had all of these questions because he's like, well, I read your school newspaper and I was, um, on your website. And so I, you said this, this, and this in the newspaper. And I'm wondering how that plays out in your school. And I was like, man, that was all right. Like, you know, now, now I have the spotlight on me instead of, of on you. And I, I just think that that shows that there's a level of care that went into it, that, it's not just another interview you're showing up for, but that, no, I think this is, and if it looks like somewhere you want to be, let them know that. Like, these are the reasons I like your school. This is why I'm interviewing here. And let me ask you these couple of questions, and that could just. And I, along I don't know.
0: the same, I know I asked if I could spend some time in different classrooms. Like, I just wanted to see, I just wanted to get a feel like, do I really want to teach eighth graders? And I think that also does the same thing where they know, okay, this person's actively and seriously thinking about all aspects of them in this particular position. So if that's an option, I would also ask to do that.
1: Yes, always, always. Uh, yeah, because you know, talking about the school is one thing, but actually seeing how things go down, is completely different. Yeah. Cece Moffitt is asking, any advice for teaching kids whose parents look down on staff and teachers because of the color of their skin, but the child wants to play with everyone, but warned not to? Wow uh, I didn't I read the beginning of that question I think I have more to say about the beginning of that question just because of the nature of my school like I don't have such a mixed group of students that that would be an issue and everyone's very very accepting at my school like I, I never hear like racial comments being thrown around or anything um, but have do you feel like let me ask you this first do you feel like because of the fact that you're an African-American woman, you've ever been looked down on from parents or, or anyone else, and how, does, how do you deal with that as a teacher, like if you're teaching someone's let me, child?
0: Let me give, I'm going to give you the realest response. I've never <laughs> done anything, but I always go in self-conscious about it. And not just with teaching, like in any, any aspect where I know um, I have to show competency. And I think that's why I'm the way I am. Like I, I just go in not knowing what people think. So I feel like I have to be 10 times better than the teacher standing next to me so um i've never had a parent say anything or insinuate anything but i know in my mind like i gotta really have like every t crossed, every i dotted because i don't want to give any any room to question is she competent can she do the job that feeling i think has a lot more to do with just i don't know like subversive societal issues or like no one's ever said anything like that to me, but I know I was raised where my parents said, I think what my dad would always say is basically, you don't have time to worry about who's racist out there, whether they like you or not because of the color of your skin. So you just need to go in and you just need to be the best person in the room. So anytime you think about, about me, but I'm gonna, you're gonna have to accept the fact that I'm really good at what I do. Um, but I've never know. I've never had parents make comments. I've had some times where I think parents have made assumptions about my personality and who I am. Um, and I've had more of a challenge when I'm dealing with other Black parents. Like they tend to be yeah. more picky on me, and um, and that's probably just because of, you know they're trying to fill me out. But it's not to me. I'm a psych. I'm a psych. Sometimes I just feel like it's all a mind game for me. Like I'm just in there. Like, so like, no, one's going to question me. So I just try and do everything that I can to show people, I know what I'm doing. I'm doing it for the right reason. you I have an answer to your question and if I don't, I will get it for you. So. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: I, I think so. I have had parents come in. I had a mom come in one time to a parent teacher conferences. And all in the way my old school used to do it was like all of the ninth grade staff would be in one room, and it was largely all white men, which was mm-hmm. very strange because I, I teach, I've taught with more women in my life than men, and she came in and she was like, "Well, where are all the where are all the black teachers?" And I was like, "It was very hard for me because I'm very sarcastic to not make a remark because it was so, it caught me off guard, and I thought, what what." what answer am I supposed to give you to that? Right. <laughs> so my, when I feel like that's an issue, when I feel like there's, uh, when like race or religion or, uh, you know, something gets in the way one, I, you know, I talk to my students a lot about this idea of white privilege and I say, I'm not exactly sure what that is all the time, but I think that's part of the issue. Right. Is like, I get it that like, I don't identify, uh, this idea that like I'm white and male and how that gets me a lot further or or provides opportunities for me like I don't even know how that manifests but I'm aware that it exists right yeah. so let that's, that's where we start but then in terms of dealing with parents in those regards or students I'm going to connect with you on a in a different way so you think that our that our differences are going to like make us butt heads but I'm going to show you that like I really love my children and I know you love your children and all I want is for your kid to be successful and I know that and, and part of that comes from the fact that like yeah I love my kids. Of course I can see why you would feel I of course I can see why you would show up mad to a conference because yeah. you love your children. I feel the same way. And so I'm always looking for different connection points than folks think. I don't I don't know. Like like it's almost like a sneak attack like I'm gonna you know I'm gonna do something that's gonna throw you off. Or a lot of times if I get, um, I feel like mom, dads usually come in with like quiet anger about a situation. Moms usually come in with very loud anger where they're like freaking out in front of me and I go, all right, first of all, I want you to know that like, all I want is for your kid to be successful, right? Mm -hmm. Like whether you believe me or not, that's what I'm going to tell you. I think your kid's a great kid and this is why I think they're going to be great. Um, and like apologizing to people, I, I think, um, and this doesn't directly answer that particular question, but I think sometimes just apologizing to parents about like, I don't know that their kid's not doing that well, or that I didn't get their email back to them that, that throws yeah. people off too. So, I mean, I think acknowledging, I like topic,
0: just acknowledging if you made a mistake. And I think regardless if you're concerned about a parent like you or not, because you have a difference in race, I have always found that the parent, I told this to a friend of mine once because she had this mom that just, came at her like and this i think this was kind of a racial issue like my friend is very sweet very blonde very mild-mannered and soft-spoken and this yeah. parent was the complete opposite and that parent went in and just kind of intimidated her and so i remember saying the parents that you are most frightened to talk about are the parents you should be talking to all the time like just in their face saying good morning how are you because i've had parents that have been on my case for different reasons And I know their assumption is, well, now that I've gotten in your face like that, now you're going to avoid me. But my approach is, well, now that you've gotten in my face like that, now I'm just going to make more of an effort to connect with you so that you can see, I really am just here for the success of your child. You can be upset with me on Monday, but on Tuesday, I'm going to say good morning. I'm going to ask you how your day went, and it's going to be just fine. That's just a good piece of advice to deal with any parent, just even if they're kind of in your face, just be polite with them. And I had a mom like that last year. She, I came out of the lunchroom one day and she, I don't know if she was hiding in a bush, but she just came out and was in my face. And then I had to have a conference with her for conference week the next day and just talk to her as if none of that had happened. (laughs) And it helped, so.
1: Yeah, being there's no place for grudges when you're teaching. You have to just learn how to get over stuff. And I find that that, For me, there's a lot of like being really confident when talking to parents too, especially if someone comes at you strong. I can't, even if I'm faking it, even if I'm like, I don't know how this is going to turn out. I feel like this mom might throw a chair at me, Uh, (laughs) like being very confident in who I am. And that's one of the pieces of advice I always give teachers when they start teaching, because if kids think, because some of my guys are big dudes. I mean, we have kids that look like they are big and they're like, much taller than me they're much stronger than me and it's like some kind of weird alpha male thing where they try and come at you hard to see if you're gonna flinch i'm like no no like no my kids have i always tell them i go my kids have to eat like i'm not allowed to fail at this job i have to do a good job or my children will starve and i don't want that to happen to them and just kind of like that ridiculousness and that confidence always sort of uh sort of helps um, yeah. Now, the uh, is asking, she said, do you find that being a boys at a boy? Oh, so I guess it's me. Uh, that being at a boys only school helps the boys concentrate on their studies. A hundred percent girls and boys together is such a huge distraction. And I don't, I don't fault those types of schools. Like if you want to be co-ed, that's great. But, uh, she said, she's thinking of
0: sending her daughter to an all girls school. Oh, uh, okay.
1: So she's thinking of sending her daughter to an all girls school. You know, for me in Philadelphia, Black males have the lowest graduation rate of anyone in the city. And so that's where the, where the idea behind my school was, was sort of created. It was to give guys a chance. And I just think that it gives you boys act differently when they're not with girls. And I just know that because I taught at a co-ed school before. And so they're much more willing to like, if you can give them a safe place and show them that you're trusted to talk about all kinds of things that they would never have talked about if a girl was in the room, because you got posture and you got front in front of everyone yeah. all the time. And, and that's-
0: their opening, that was on the news out here a couple of days ago, I think in LA, LA school district, they're about to pilot an all boys. It looks like it's an elementary to middle school, but they were saying, you know, we're going to give it a try. You know, we want um, boys and girls to be separated just for those same reasons. And I thought if I had a kid, I would definitely consider it because I mean, it at least takes away the distraction of girls. And I'm trying to impress the girls and they're more likely to be focused at the task at hand. Yeah. So I think it's a, if you can do it and try it, I mean, it's not going to hurt to try. So I think it's a great option to have.
1: Yeah. No one likes it though. Coming in. I'll say oh. that. Like, my boys, <laughs> act, Cause everyone acts like they have so much, they have so much swag and they're like, Oh, I get If girls were here, it would be all over. I'd have like 10 girls trying to talk. And it's like, no, no, I don't think so. I think that girl you talk about that you dated in Niagara Falls is fake. I don't think she's a real human being. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah. And so even one of my students is on here saying that the amount of brotherhood that there exists at my school. And that really comes like after 10th grade when guys realize that like, yeah, I'm not getting out of this. I'm staying here. But that those friendships are Arts something to be to be witnessed. Yeah. Um, so we're at an hour and ten. I, I there's one more question on here I wanted to ask you because I'm interested in it too. My friend Darren. What's that? Okay. So my friend Darren Nakikihara, whose name I used to mispronounce yeah. every single time I I've said.
0: Hi, right Darren.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I think I have to right now. He is asking, how did you get your YouTube name? How'd you come up with your name?
0: Me? Yeah. Oh, um, I came up with it because I, when I was younger, um, at least for me and black kids, we were given the impression, and this is one of the reasons why I teach that, you know, being smart, working hard in school was inherently a white thing, like that you're not cool if you're smart. And so anytime I did well, I would have people tell me, oh, you're trying to be white. And I just think that that is the most devastating thing for anyone to hear, especially a person of color. So uh, the smarty part and the style part is kind of double. I want people to realize that being smart is actually very in style. I think there's something very stylish and nice about someone who is smart and knows that they're smart and knows how to use that. So when I think about that, I think about Michelle Obama. One of the things I love about her is that she's smart. She knows she's smart. She's not apologetic about it. Yet, in that she has a lot of humility in her intelligence. Um, so, that's the smarty part. The style part is I do love to shop. I do love clothes. I like outfits. Um, so, it just kind of is a play on the two, um, which is why I share my outfits every day. But that's really where it came from. I think it's yeah. stylish and smart, and I want kids to know that. So,
1: that's cool. I real I like, I would not, I mean, it's so funny when you hear people's stories sometimes because it's like, Oh, I thought you disliked clothes and you, <laughs> you're like, I don't know. Like, so, uh, real rap with the Reynolds is funny. A lot of, because, because, it sounds like I'm speaking about myself in the third person because it used to be, I have quotes on my board every day. They're always called yeah. real rap with Reynolds because teachers love alliteration. And so yeah. everything has to have an R in front of it, but real rap, um, you know, for people that don't know, this is comes from like, uh, the world of hip hop, like real talk or real rap, meaning like, you keep it real. My guys would say like, you keep it a hundred. And so mm-hmm. I always try and keep it a hundred with my students. And so I have like these some kind times like snarky quotes that I'll put on my, on my board, like stop yelling at your video game controller. Cause you're the one pushing the buttons or, or, you know, anything else. Like there's a 99% chance that you're awesome. You should yeah. act accordingly. And, uh, and then when we started the YouTube channel, that's we just started as Real Rep with The Reynolds, meaning the whole family.
0: And then the family
1: kind of went away. And now it sounds like I'm talking they're, about
0: They're dog. coming back. I've seen them popping up.
1: They, they do. They do. So every once in a while, they they love jumping in here. Are good? Yeah. Okay. Oh, unless you want
0: There's one more. Oh, there's. Do you want? Can you do I can
1: do one more. Can we do one more? Okay. Okay. Uh, so we're getting asked, have you ever dealt with a teacher that bullies students with disabilities or mental issues? That's a really great and kind of sad question. Um, have you ever had someone that like, de- like, even if they didn't bully them, I'm just thinking of maybe teachers that kind of downplay things or don't address stuff because they don't think it's important.
0: I have um, seen teachers where, I mean, I guess, I don't think their intention is to bully them, but you can tell they have zero patience and zero tolerance for how their disability manifests itself in the classroom. And to the point where the other kids in the classroom realize the teacher is done with this kid. yeah, And then they are then done with that kid. And I I get it, I've had some difficult kids and depending on the disability, some are easier to deal with others, but, um and i think when that happened me we tried to talk to that teacher but i think they were just at such a place of frustration that they didn't want to behave that way but they couldn't help themselves from doing it um because they were just overwhelmed by the situation and i mean but i haven't seen that happen often Um, but i mean you know teachers are human and there's only so much you can take if you're having to deal with a student who maybe is placed in your classroom, but really needs some additional services that they're not getting. And while the paperwork is being shuffled and the logistics is happening, you're being told, okay, you have to to find a way to deal with um, supporting them and helping them. And while you're dealing with their behaviors, you gotta work on making sure these 35 kids are taken care of. So I think that's where that teacher was at. Um, They were just really stressed, you know, so.
1: Yeah, and that's, I think that's a really important point. Like the, I, one of the things I try and talk to new teachers about is like this idea of like, you still, it's almost better for you to learn more about yourself than it is your students sometimes, because the more your process, the more you know who you are, maybe what your triggers are, what your strengths and weaknesses are, that all plays out in your classroom. Yeah. And if you have a student that has, uh, let's say someone has like severe ADHD. They can, they have a very, very hard time sitting down. They, um, they, you know, blow through tasks really quickly and then you don't know what to do with them. And that just, a lot of times just pisses teachers off and they don't realize that that kid has very little power over that particular thing that they're dealing with. And for me, it's been a couple of things that have helped me because, because I've seen this happen in the classroom. Like I've seen, I won't say I've seen teachers bully, but they do like get fed up very, very early on in the year. And they're like, whatever. I just kick that kid out every day. And it's like, well, like we're here to teach everyone, not to just teach the kids that we want to teach. Yeah. And for me, it's been a lot of like, Learning in myself, like, how do I deal with that? Like Mr. Rogers always used to say, how do you deal with the mad that you feel? And like, what are you going, you know, figuring out tactics and how to deal with a particular student. And also I find that the more people I know, and this goes back to what we were talking about earlier that are like my students, the more grace I have for them. So for yeah. example, if I know someone that's autistic and maybe someone in my family has autism, they, that gives me such a level of grace for kids that come into my classroom that are dealing with autism, where if someone has ADHD and I know they're not just being bad in school, but like I've seen that kid at Thanksgiving dinner and they have hard time sitting down and they're like messing up the mashed potatoes and they're knocking things over on the table. It's like, I get it. I know kind of where you're coming from and that gives me an extra level of grace too. So, you know, it's it's unfortunate, but if you want to not become that teacher, I'd say you have to get yourself in, in front of as many different types of folks as you can, because it's just going to yeah. make the world of difference. Because if you have a friend that's like that, or you have someone dear to you that's like that, it's going to change the way you look at everything. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, that's that. Can you tell yeah. people real quick where they can find you on social media before you go?
0: You can find me on YouTube under smart, Smitey. Smarty style and same thing on Instagram, smarty style. I try very hard to respond to everybody's comments. So if you leave me a comment, I will reply eventually. And that's pretty much it.
1: Cool. So after this goes is on here, it will be posted on my YouTube channel. Uh, and I know teachers get weird about answering questions in other people's, you know, comment section. But see anything that's like directed towards or anything you want to comment on, like, please go ahead. And I would encourage folks that are watching this as the rebroadcast that if you have a question, if something struck a note in you, you want to leave a comment, you can go ahead and leave it in the comment section and either one of us will get back to you and make sure that, you know, you, you are getting what you need from that. So thanks so much for being on. I really, really appreciate it.
0: Sorry about the sun. I was
1: trying to, I see it. I see it creeping in the sun's long gone in, in New Jersey. Uh, For those people that are watching, on Thursday, I'll have my friend Kate the Sleepy Teacher on. We're going to be broadcasting from down the shore, which is what we call beach in New Jersey, and which should be different. I'm not sure how that's going to go, but I'm looking forward to it. And that is that. So thanks so much for being on. I really appreciate it again, um, and it was a great conversation.
0: Yeah, I enjoyed it. Thank you so much.
1: All right. You have a good evening.
0: You too. Bye, guys.
1: And that's it for this week, gang. Look, if you ever want to have your question answered on Sunday Night Teacher Talk, all you have to do is show up at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on my YouTube channel, Real Rap with Reynolds, and I'd be happy to answer any question that you put out there. Nothing is off the table. Thanks so much for your support. We really, really appreciate it. And I hope you have a great week. Peace.